Amen, amen. I want to share this morning um, from John chapter 4, verses 5 to 42. I was tempted to ask my wife to read this, but again, we had a couple of distractions earlier this morning, so I'm not going to spring that on her. But John 5, uh, John 4, 5 to 42, this is the longest recorded exchange of Jesus with any human being. Now, <clears throat> what's interesting about that is that the longest recorded exchange between Jesus and another human being is with a person that we don't even know her name. We refer to her as the woman at the well. <coughs> John, five, or John 4. So he, Jesus, came to the city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So J Jesus, being uh, wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman uh, uh, of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Okay, it is a deep well, by the way, about 135 feet. Um, where am I at? Okay, uh, where then do you get that living water? You're no greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor uh, come all the way here to draw. And he said, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are completely, you're, you're correct, uh, you have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, oh, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when Neither in this, on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you worship, what you uh, do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be uh, his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that. Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ. When he comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now let's skip down to verse 
uh, I believe, um, no, at this point the disciples came and they were amazed and he'd been speaking to this a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went to the city and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all the things I've ever done that is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Verse 39, from that city, many of the Samaritans came to him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things that I've done. So the Samaritans came to Jesus and were asking him to stay, and he stayed two days. Many believed because of his word, and they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said, that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Lord, thank you for your word. Would you speak to us through it? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, that's a longer reading than I normally like to do, uh, but it's reflective of the fact that it carries such content. Now, uh, what I'm going to share with you is not going to cover all of that content. The title that I've given the message this morning is Labeled or known? Gladys Baker was the daughter of mentally ill uh, parents. And so after her five-year marriage ended in divorce, her husband kidnapped her, her two children, a boy and a girl, from Los Angeles and took him to his native state of Kentucky to raise them. It left her devastated. Five years later, on June the 1st, she gave birth to another daughter, not married to the man who had fathered that daughter, and she was in such a difficult state that two weeks after the birth of that daughter, she surrendered that daughter to foster care. Now, initially, she maintained limited contact. She would come and, and, and have an occasional overnight to visit her daughter, but soon even that became difficult. In the end, her daughter was in 10 different foster homes. For two years, she was left in the care of the Orphan Home Society of Los Angeles Finally, she was committed to a guardian who had taken care of her for four years. But when her daughter learned that Gladys was committed to a mental institution because she had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, her daughter chose to marry the neighbor who had just graduated from a police academy. So she dropped out of school at 16 years old and married him and became a housewife. For the next four years, that was her life until World War II broke out and her husband was deployed to the South Pacific in World War II. During that time, she took a job at a radio plane factory and she met a photographer. This photographer led her on a successful path. She became known as a model, and she was noticed by a movie producer, and she was cast in a movie that became wildly successful. 
And it was here that Gladys' daughter, who had survived an incredible childhood, multiple encounters of physical and sexual abuse, that these producers encouraged her to change her name from Mrs. James Doherty to what most of us would know her now as Marilyn Monroe. Now, if you're like me, it wasn't until I heard a song that was put together by Elton John, and it was that intriguing song that you begin to hear a ballad about someone, and, and it wasn't actually until that time that I actually realized that this, this woman that I'd heard about during my childhood, 11, 12 years after her death, in this song, we find out that her name was actually Norma Jean. Because for most of us, we only knew her in one light, what she had been labeled as. And yet, for most of us, she was actually nameless. For most of us, completely unaware of this incredible life of abandonment and abuse and loss that she had actually lived. In her own words, she didn't consider herself an orphan, but a wife, W-A-I-F, waif, a person utterly and totally abandoned. And what's most striking is that even the mention of her name reverberates something that is completely, I mean, it just it goes right down to, to this very day today. What it, what it, what it feels like to be known and yet actually nameless. I mean, her, her image fills frames around the world, doesn't she? Oh, that's, that's Marilyn Monroe. But her actual identity? Mostly unknown. And that is the tendency of the human condition, isn't it? Because here's the truth. All of us have experienced labels by which, for whatever reason, got hung on us. Something we did, something we didn't do. A way somebody decided that that's what you're like. And the label stuck. Skin color? You know, I, I share a little bit of what my daughter has shared with me before when she says, you know, it, people can see my mom and think, oh, that's my mom, but it's when they see my dad that they realize those aren't actually my parents. I said, sorry, honey. I'm a real white guy. People would know for me, that I looked normal until they heard my dad open his mouth and they would know we weren't from around here. Language, culture, racial background, skin color, sex, the public mistakes that we've made, unforgotten, 
It's easy to label what we don't know. Dismiss. Define. Displace. That's what labels do. Put on a definition, but does it really explain? See, many of us know, I should say literally, I I believe probably all of us know the sting of being labeled and yet nameless and unknown. Longing, thirsting, not just to be found out, but to be known, to be loved, to be valued for who we actually are. Jesus is in Samaria. Now, this is a region, not just a geographical location, but it has, it, it, it's a region that bore a label for the Jewish people for over a thousand years. It was a label that was known as the people that had betrayed them, that had lived in hypocrisy and idol worship. They, they were the other people, them. And so Jesus is in the labeled region, and he's not just avoiding that region, but but he's there sitting at a well, and he's approached by a woman. More than just a woman, but a labeled woman. Known for her history, maybe even her promiscuity. Five husbands. Now, before we, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to at least invite us to put our thinking cap on. Five husbands. Whatever label you put on this, watch. A woman in the first century, Samaritan or Jew, didn't matter, had no legal grounds to divorce a man, period. It could only be initiated by a man. Five husbands. Now, either by divorce or by death. We don't know. Okay? Either category, this is a woman who's actually been a victim of pain, grief, regrets. She's living now with a person Why? Well, maybe, probably, because she had no other means to care for her life. But what she longs for is to be known, to be valued, to be loved. Jesus, he's in the labeled region. He's speaking to a labeled woman. And he breaks all the traditions, all the labels, and he speaks to the labeled woman in a labeled region at Jacob's well. Would you give me a drink? Now, two things I want to point to this, because this is really cool stuff, okay? Theologically, it's really cool stuff. Stay with me, ready? For every Jewish young man or woman, they would have gone... Oh, my goodness, what? Because, you see, it's at this well, Genesis 29, 
Jacob had been sent by his father Isaac. He said, I don't want you just to marry Canaanites. We, we want to lay hold of this promised covenant that God has given to us. So you need to go find a wife in Haran. And he's sent away, and he's received a blessing from his father. And just the night before, in Genesis 28, he has this encounter with God where he's like, oh, my goodness, God was here, and I didn't even know it, which, by the way, is a hugely profound theological truth. Bethel, it's like, oh, I didn't expect God to be here. That's the life for many of us. God is present and at work. And so Jacob awakes from that dream, and he comes up to a well. And, two, you know, 2,000 years before Jesus is there at that well, it's here that Jacob meets a woman at a well that had been covered. And he opens that well. He removes the stone, and he provides water for this woman and for her sheep. And what was really taking place there was really kind of, it was actually a betrothal. There's a, there's a whole relational thing going on there. And, and, and it's there that Jacob meets Rachel, and he's like, oh, my goodness, God has brought provision in my life. I'm, we're we're going to be part of this covenant in which we're blessed to become a blessing through all, which all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. So this covenant promise of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, a key part of its fulfillment took place at Jacob's well, and it was a betrothal ceremony. John 3, before we get to John 4, and Jesus sitting at the well, John the Baptist says, he's the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom, and we're listening to hear his voice. He's already been identified as the bridegroom. And where is he going? He goes, not to where everybody thought he would go, but to the most rejected, displaced Nameless place. And Jesus is actually living out this whole betrothal thing. Being identified as the bridegroom, he's now identifying his bride. And, and he says, those who receive this water that he'll give, that, that they're going to become like a well is going to be rising up within them, not on the basis of labels, but on the basis of what I'm giving to them. Now, in fear of being found out, you know, she says, uh, let's, that's a little wild. Why are you talking to me? Let's talk about, let's, let's not talk about me. Let's, let's talk about religious stuff. And Jesus' invitation is not just facts outside of her life and her heart, but his invitation is to the very thing that will touch her and everything in her. You, you don't know the gift of God and who it is that is asking you for a drink from Jacob's well, or you would ask for living water. Everyone who drinks of this water will never thirst again, but whoever drinks of this water, I'll give him that they'll never thirst, and the water that I give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. God, Jesus is putting out this, this reversing that whole picture and saying, watch, I'm coming to get you to fulfill a promise. But guess what? It didn't just start there. 
Okay, so the Jewish picture, Jacob's well, whoa, God's promise. It's actually reflective of another story. You remember Eve in the garden? And the devil tempts Eve to eat of the forbidden fruit that she would gain divine knowledge. At the well, Jesus invites the Samaritan woman to drink from water to gain spiritualism. The entire story here is a reversal of the impact of sin. Is everybody following this? Sin that's left us nameless with labels that have condemned and pointed. And Jesus comes to offer a complete reversing of the story and a reenactment of Eden. And there's a different result. The woman's eyes are open and she understands. Instead of being banned from the garden by sin, this woman, this Samaritan woman, runs out and tells her friends, I've met the one who is the living water. She isn't cursed. She's blessed and offers a blessing. It's a complete turnaround of the story. And that, beloved, is the good news of the gospel. Okay? That those labels that have stuck on us and others, that Jesus comes and says, I'm inviting you to something different, to a relationship. And it's a betrothal that you would become mine. And out of you is going to flow something completely different. It's going to change the entire story. Now, I get a little passionate because here's the thing. It's easy for us to get external and detached, almost like that Samaritan woman, and read this story like that was her. I, I want us to hear this. We're all her. We have all drunk from wells. We've all gone to wells that we've said, ah, maybe that'll provide for me. Maybe that'll meet that unquenched thirst inside of me. I mean, I could go down the, 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 the list of them. A relationship, a, you know, whatever, the, you know, whatever forms that, that you might consider those wells look like. The easier ones that we can look at is see wells of addiction that seem to be glaring and apparent to others. You know, addiction to substances. Well, what about addiction to power and control? What about addiction to being hidden and isolated and never opening up our lives? Busyness. Oh, I, let's, we're getting personal now. See, we all drink from different wells. And that's why the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 2, my people have committed two different sins. They've dug their own wells, broken cisterns that can't provide water, and, they've, and they've, they've neglected me, the source of living water. We've all been there, and it leaves us thirsty. So for too long, like the nameless woman, we have drunk from things that don't satisfy and that well, those wells that never will satisfy. And Jesus comes, and he proclaims there's another well. Now, here's what I want to say this over us. Oh, man, this is such good stuff. Jesus comes and he's speaking to this woman and he proclaims something. And, you know, even though he identifies five marriages and a man you're living with, 
Let's get that right. You know, I heard somebody praying here a couple of weeks ago and made this statement. I told Denise about it. I said in the prayer meeting, I said, oh, it's hard for me because <laughs> the, the statement in the prayer went something like this, that the gospel begins with, with uh, revealing our sin. And I said, it just bothered me. And Denise was like, yay, honey. <laughs> she said, no, 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 that's not, the, that's not the centerpiece of the gospel. The centerpiece of the gospel is the cross. That proclaims that God says this, watch, it doesn't matter what the label is, I'm proclaiming future. Okay? He meets this Samaritan woman. He knows about the past. Does that seem to bother Jesus? No, he's there to proclaim her future. He wants to satisfy our thirst, not just judge our history. Okay? We're pretty good at doing that in religious circles. And at Jacob's well, he's announcing to a woman thirsting to be seen and known and accepted and forgiven that God proclaims a future. I offer you water that will become a wellspring within you that gives life throughout eternity. He'll never be thirsty again. I, he speak to you, am he. Oh, watch this. That's the very first I am passage recorded in the Gospels. If you're familiar with those passages where Jesus said, I am, he's referring to himself as the I am of the Old Testament. This was it. First time. So, beloved, the good news that we proclaim today is that there is another well. It is the well of Jesus Christ. It is a well that not only washes us clean of our past, it is a well of living water that frees us from being cursed uh, to sharing life and to giving life to others, a wellspring that gives life so that you will never be thirsty again, and that's good news, beloved. Now, what happened to that woman at the well? Well, if you'll give me a couple of minutes, I want to tell you some stories. I think they're fabulous. Labeled but unnamed woman. Longest account between a human being and Jesus in the Gospels. Well, first she goes to Sychar, to, to her hometown and proclaims, come and see for yourselves. She's an evangelist. And, and, and she's been more than just found out. She's found life. And it's contagious. We, we discovered something. We, we heard you, and it piqued our curiosity. Now we've seen. So let me... This is what, that's all that we have in this scripture. Church tradition. This is some cool stuff, okay? Can I share? I can't document it other than church history. Tradition places her in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost that says she and her entire family were baptized. Now, here's where the story gets really interesting. Because at her baptism, uh, tradition tells us that she took the name Photina. Pho meaning the Greek word for light, the enlightened one. Okay? So she takes the name Photina in her baptism. She leaves her hometown and travels to the margins of the Roman Empire at that point to Carthage, which is this. That's North Africa, Tunisia. And everywhere she goes, she's proclaiming the truth of Christ with her sisters, with her son Joseph, and she's credited with more than just being an evangelist. In Orthodox tradition, 
She's held as a saint equal to the apostles. They actually have a saint day for her, Photina. I think it's on March 21. Now, here's where it gets, the, the history goes on. After Nero begins persecuting Christians, you know, full, full tilt, Photina has a dream in which Jesus appears to her in that dream. And after she wakes up from that dream, she says, we're going to Rome. Now, like, why would you do that, right? <laughs> Go to the place where they're dragging them into the Colosseum and killing them. She goes to Rome. On her arrival in Rome, all of Rome is astir. Who is this woman? Crowds of people come around her, and she preaches Christ with boldness, with no fear. Nero sends soldiers to arrest Fatina. They finally get her arrested, but not before. They're actually converted. On her arrest, he says, I know how to silence this woman. We're going to beat her. Going to beat her hands. She's beaten along with her sisters, and yet she continues to proclaim this message of good news. In fact, finally Nero decides this isn't working, and he decides, this woman, I know how to fix this. I'm going to send my daughter... Domnina, this is documentable, by the way. Domnina goes with her slaves carrying a large amount of gold, and the intent was bribe her into being quiet. She's just a poor woman. Domnina is converted and gives the gold to the poor. Nero is now enraged. He's like, bring her to me. And he has her not only brought before him, but he has her thrown into a well. And according to tradition, this, she's, he has her thrown into a dry well because she keeps talking about this well of living water. And tradition says that she willingly gave up her spirit to Christ and then dies. Fascinating to a nameless, labeled woman who actually winds up standing before the emperor. If you go to the West Bank of Palestine today in a city called Nablus, there's a Greek Orthodox church that sits over a, now a 4,000-year-old well that is considered the most well-preserved uh, site in biblical history that still to this day produces clean, clear water. It's here that Jesus not only fulfilled the covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to a nameless, labeled woman who be she became a well in which the life of Jesus flowed, no longer nameless, but she's known. She discovered inside of her a well. She left her jar behind. She became a well of eternal life. In the Orthodox tradition, they refer to her as Fotina, and I think I already said this, equal to the apostles. 
couple of things that stick out to me as I think about these, this passage in this, this story. Number one is this. If we haven't already got it, let's not miss this. No matter the labels, label, labels, we proclaim in the name of Jesus, there's someone who knows your name. He knows your name. He knows more than just the story of the pain. He knows exactly who we are. The prophet Isaiah, Isaiah in chapter 62 said, I'm going to take your name. I'm going to change it. You were called desolate. I'm going to call you married. Belonging to me. That's exactly what Jesus lives out with this Samaritan woman. That whole beautiful picture is what, he procl- is what the gospel proclaims to us. You belong. You have a name. You're called a son and a daughter of mine. And guys, like it or not, we are the bride who belong to the bridegroom, right? We belong to him, amen? All right, number two. Uh, This gospel, ah, this gospel doesn't begin with our past. It begins with the proclamation of the cross, the I am who changed the story of our life, who's changed the story of sin and has forever proclaimed a new day and a future in front of us. I who speak to you am he. He already knows the past. But he's proclaimed a future. In the name of Jesus, let's hear the Spirit of God proclaim that truth over us. Amen? Beloved, real worship. You know, Jesus, I didn't, I, I no time to develop that part of the text, but real worship, real worship, beloved, is knowing and being known. Okay? So our invitation this morning, come to the well that is Christ and drink deeply until you have become the one that you drink. Is that good? The good news that we proclaim today is that this there is another well. It is the well of Jesus Christ. It's the well that we take of. It's the well that we proclaim that not just only washes us clean of our past, but is a source of living water that, that frees us to share in life and to give life a wellspring that we would never thirst again. I want to invite you this morning, if you would, to join me in this closing prayer. Would you, uh, would you join me in that prayer here to get together? Let's stand. And we're going to take of communion here in just a moment. And part of what we do in that communion is we're taking, we're receiving and proclaiming the well of Jesus Christ that he invites us to. Let's pray this prayer together. O Almighty God, whose most blessed Son revealed to the Samaritan woman that He is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. You go before and await our coming. Our thirst compels us beyond complaint to conversation, beyond rejection to relationship. Grant us to drink of the well that springs up to everlasting life, that we may worship you in spirit and truth. Pour your love into our hearts that refreshed and renewed, we may invite others to the living water given